0: Hey everybody, welcome back into the Frogs Up TCU Sports Podcast recording here Sunday evening, January 7th. 2024 is here, our first episode of the new year. Uh, We hope all of y'all had a great new year celebration. I for one had a fantastic new year uh, hanging out with some friends and family out in the suburbs. We're uh, we're debating whether or not we would even make it to midnight since we're we're getting a little uh, up there in age, but we we had a, a nice long night out in the burbs and uh, had a fun sports weekend as well watched a lot of football and it's uh, it's been a little bit since we we last recorded but we're back on our regular Sunday evening uh schedule here and we we wish we had a more positive episode this evening but we have some uh some tough results to discuss with uh TCU men's basketball falling at Kansas in controversial fashion TCU women's basketball uh suffering a pair of losses and losing a key player to a injury. We will talk about that. Uh, But we do have some football items to discuss as well. Some more transfer portal shuffling and some TCU frogs that are getting ready for the upcoming NFL draft. We'll be playing in some of the upcoming senior showcase events here in the near future. So uh, we have some good content for y'all this evening. And uh, Anthony, let's hear about your new year, man. How was it with the family?
1: Yeah, had a great New Year with the family. Got to watch a lot of TCU basketball. Uh took the kids out to a women's game and a men's game. Uh both big victories for the Frogs. That were it was a good time and um the for the men's game on New Year's Day, they had uh the practice court open up to the crowd so like you could come in and shoot around and they had games set up and inflatables and stuff. It was a really great time. Uh, you know, I, I think I talked about that on the last show that we were planning to do that. And, you know, they still got students are still not back in session yet. So all the holiday hoops coming up are discounted tickets. So uh women's game, men's games coming up, uh, get yourself tickets, go out there, get a, a little bit of a discounted seat, go sit in the student section and take in some pretty excellent basketball. Um, yeah, the staying up till midnight. I I am I'm past the age where I make it that far, so uh, didn't quite make it there to midnight. But did have a good time on New Year's Eve, and you know, New Year's Day. It was fun watching the the playoff games as well. So, um, with, without all the pressure of watching TCU, unfortunately, but uh, it, it was it was a fun time watching football, watching basketball all weekend. It was a good sports weekend, and um, you know, excited. Unfortunately, it's a rough one to talk about here as we got into the new year for TCU, but I'm uh, excited to hear to see you again and to be talking with everyone on the podcast.
0: Yeah, and let's get right into it, TCU men's basketball. Uh, we last talked eight days ago, and TCU has since played two games, uh, closing out non-conference play on New Year's Day, I believe, with a home game against Texas A&M Commerce. This was a rather uneventful, easy win for TCU coming out on top 77 to 42. Not much really noteworthy here to discuss. We'll go ahead and just put that to the side and get into the, the meat of our podcast here. I was working on Saturday covering a basketball game myself. So I was only able to watch bits and pieces of this game, but this was from everything I've heard, a fantastic game between TCU and number two, Kansas and the Frogs, for the second year in a row, going to Lawrence and putting up a heck of a fight. As we know, last season, which we jokingly called the Shahada Wells game on the podcast, he he comes in with a huge effort and TCU goes on the road and, and frankly blows Kansas out of their own building. This game was competitive all the way through, not many long runs by either team, and TCU did everything in its power to bring home a win in this game. But Anthony, as I'll let you uh, take the lead on some very controversial moments and controversial officiating calls down the stretch here as TCU uh, gets robbed at the fog. Go ahead and and take it away. Paint the picture for the, the listeners at home and just share what your reaction was with us.
1: Yeah, and before we get to the end of how this game ends, that's going to be the focus of everything, and I'm sure we'll spend many minutes on that here in a little bit. But just like you said, this was a terrific basketball game. Uh, Back and forth all the way. Um, So many lead changes. The, The game was, yeah, 26 lead changes in this game. It was back and forth. Nobody led by more than five or six points all game. So, it was as closely contested a basketball game as you can have. And yeah, obviously, for TCU to be in a game like that against the number two team in the country at their home court, one of the toughest home courts to play in all of college basketball, uh, it was a good performance for TCU. Um, TCU came out hot. Really, both teams came out pretty hot in this game. Um, TCU made its first three three pointers. And, you know, this game got off as fast to start as you could. Um, TCU did the things that, uh, you know, we pointed to as needed to get done to have a chance in this game, forcing tons of turnovers um, in in this one, uh, 18 total turnovers forced on the Jayhawks is um, for a team that is as disciplined and talented as Kansas to have that kind of, uh, ball control issues against TCU is a really good defensive performance from that aspect. Um, but when it really came down to it, Hunter Dickinson is a talented, scoring, skilled big man. And that is the kind of player that TCU basketball has had problems against uh, for years. Uh, problems, you know, in many occasions last season, including the NCAA tournament against Drew Timmy and Dickinson uh, pretty much handled the Horn Frogs uh, across the day uh, before we get into how the game ended again. But he scored 30 points. He uh, was really their entire offense. In the first half, outside of one point, all of Kansas's points were scored by Dickinson, McCuller, and Adams. Uh, those three guys, kind of the bigger guys on the team, um, handled things they dominated the paint dominated uh the the rebounding the the frequency that kansas got offensive rebounds or tcu had rebounds in their hands and just somehow fumbled them out of bounds uh, to to basically equivalent of an offensive rebound It, it felt like every time down the court kansas was getting multiple shots and Obviously, a team as talented as Kansas, you just can't give extra opportunities like that. Um, So that was that was a huge issue that Kansas was able to take advantage of. Um, But yeah, dominated the glass, dominated the paint. And despite the turnover battle being thoroughly won by TCU, um, this game just went back and forth the entire way. First half, it was Emmanuel Miller. Uh, filling it up. I mean he he was uh, he was making shots, getting rebounds, playing defense. He was the man. But really, this game is going to be. And if if TCU had pulled this game out like last season, it was the Shahada Wells game. This game would have been the Travian uh, Tennyson game. Tennyson yeah. was out of his mind on the court on Saturday in Lawrence um absolutely on fire trying to pull up the stats here let's see 6 made three pointers 6 for 8 on three pointers 24 points a season high for him uh 9 of 12 from the field just this was this was by far his best game and it's been leading to it and I know Russ you've been looking forward to it you've been saying he is the guy who should be the scorer for this team and that um you know now he's gotten himself into the starting lineup. He's gotten a clear role within this team. And uh, I guess it's been three games he's been in the starting lineup. He's been in double digits scoring in all three games. And this was a a huge breakout game for him. Um, He was lighting it up in the second half. And, uh, you know, Dixon was running, calling plays for him where, you know, out out of bounds plays, out of timeout plays, it was clear that, what they wanted to do was get tennis in the ball and get him firing. And, and it was working. He was draining everything. They, he was finding ways to, to get those, those shots to go. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be unfortunate that we don't remember this performance as resulting in a win. Um, But he, he was, he was really lighting it up. So big kudos to him. And I guess if we are to talk about this game, the way it ended. So you go in and and I'm sure everyone listening to this has seen the replays and was watching the game and was plugged in. But my view on it, so we're tie game 90 or so seconds left. TCU comes down the court. And Jameer Nelson hits a dagger step back jumper from about the free throw line. Um, Just a a beauty of a play that, you know, he had not, maybe not the best night all around. um, But that was one of those like, man, that that was a slick play and and a play that you bring in a guy like Jameer Nelson to make that particular bucket in that moment. and TCU takes a two point lead, and Kansas possession. They they dribble out the clock on the shot clock. Um, they get off kind of a a, a a poor shot. KJ Adams, I think it was, let off a floater that clanks off the rim. It bounces back, and it he kind of catches it and is falling backwards with it. Um, and I think it's Xavier Cork and Micah Peavy are kind of tied up with them, and the ball tumbles loose. But the the referees there blow it dead. Um, The this was not the controversial play that we'll get into, but to me, this was a little bit of a controversial play in that the refs were very quick on the whistle on the on the jump ball. I I don't know that you can that quickly call it a tie ball as the player is kind of falling to the ground, you could have just as easily called it a travel. Um, mm. He's got, he's holding the ball and is taking several steps backwards, falling down while TCU players are stripping him of the ball, ready to take it for a fast break the other direction. Um, so I think already it was like, okay, you know, whatever. That's, that's one of those calls. You just, that. They're quick on the whistle, and they're in Allen Fieldhouse, and that's how it's going to be called. Um, possession arrow to Kansas. Kansas ball. Um, pretty quickly after the the inbounds. Uh, well, first off, Xavier Cork is subbed out after that, and Ernest Uday Jr. is subbed in. Uday, the former Kansas uh, player, transferred out of Kansas to TCU after the arrival of Hunter Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson was brought in, pushed Uday out. Uday's now at TCU. So there there is some potential personal history between those two players. Now on the court in the final 30-ish, whatever, inside of the final minute of a game, hotly contested game. Uday, to that point, had uh, maybe two free throws, no baskets in the game, H- had been... Um, somewhat of a non-factor. But they attempt an entry pass to Dickinson a little bit further out from the basket, and Uday is still fronting Dickinson at this point, guarding him far from the basket, but still fronting him to where, you know, a good pass gets over top of Uday, and Dickinson catches it and probably takes a dribble and dunks. Um, But it's a poor pass, Uday catches the pass, um corrals the pass in maybe an exaggerated manner. Um for those listening uh, on the screen, I'm I'm uh, demonstrating here. They in corralling the pass makes contact with Dickinson's face, maybe. Um and TCU is off and running you know, having taken the turnover and is on their way to another, another fast break opportunity. And while Dickinson is lying on the floor in in agony, like he got shot in the face, Um the referees stop the play in the middle of the play while TCU is in possession to, I, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's not something you can do. Mm-hmm. Um But they stop the play. Not only do they prevent TCU from taking that possession, taking that fast break opportunity, uh, up two points late in the game, they review the interaction between Uday and Dickinson, determine that Uday had committed a flagrant foul in corralling the ball, and which grants Kansas two free throws and possession of the ball. So Kansas go and Kansas makes the free throws and they score off of the possession. So Kansas goes from uh trailing by 2 to leading by 2 simply from one decision from the officials. Um extremely unfortunate for a game of this quality and this magnitude to be decided by the officials in that way. Um, A call that you never see called. I mean, Dickinson clearly flailing on the ground, like absurd for him to lay on the ground like that. Um, And it is a, but you know what? You, You play to where you play uh when you play at Kansas and you play in that building you know you've got those 3 zebras on your team with you so if you just lay on that ground long enough they're gonna blow the whistle you know they are all you got to do is lay there um and that alone may have been enough i'm very surprised they made this call to overturn that and determine you know Yeah. When, when you show it in slow motion and it's back into the left and back into the left. Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe you find something with your microscope that looks like, um, you know, people's body shouldn't move that way, but live action, when you're going for a a live ball, loose ball on a poor pass. I mean, I, I don't know how you could ever determine that that is, uh, something that would rise to the, the occasion of being a flagrant foul. Um, in any case, Kansas takes the lead, but TCU comes right back down and gets a, a put back tip in to tie the game. And okay, here you go. You've got 30 seconds left. Kansas with the ball, chance to go win the game. And they come down, and once again, Uday is fronting Dickinson in the post. This time it's DeWan Harris throwing the pass, one of the best passers in all of college basketball. He completes the pass appropriately to Dickinson. Uh Peavy, uh, Micah Peavy is uh, he's he's hanging too close in the corner. Um he's spread out too far to somebody needed to be supporting better uh for Uday to be fronting like that at that point in the game. You know what they're gonna go to. Um, you know, if you give up that corner three to, uh, you know, 26% three point shooter or whatever. Okay. And, and they beat you, you, you might be okay there. Uh, but to, to allow Dickinson to get the ball point blank range at that point, I think that was, that was unfortunate, but, you know, Dickinson, gets the ball and does like two jump steps and does a couple shuffles and a couple double dribbles and he gets the ball up and it goes in and Kansas takes a two point lead with three seconds left. And, you know, we've seen TCU score like in the Georgetown game, uh, and however controversial that ending may have been as well, but we've seen TCU find a way to get a bucket in that situation. Um, TCU's play out of the timeout there with three seconds left was inbounds to Jameer Nelson. He sprints it up the court into, you know, the kind of the top of the key corner there and chucks up a three that is well short. Um, You know, he got about to the three point line, but at that point he was double teamed. He had no pass option. He had no one to get the ball to and um no one, no time left for a rebound and a putback either to tie it send it to overtime so t c u ends up falling eighty one to eighty three and yes, what we're gonna talk about is the controversial ending because um it was such a major major impact on the game. This is not just like a a tight whistle on a foul call. this is not just a oh man, I think he you know something that could have gone one way or another oh i think he might have been on the line on the three pointer or not or you know this is this is a major swing in the game uh at the most critical moment and for you know the for them to get the microscope out to try to find a way to call that a flagrant foul and then absolutely go completely blind on the final possession to not call the push off. I mean, if, if Ernest Uday had fallen down on the ground, um, the way Hunter Dickinson had when Dickinson pushed him on the entry pass for the game winning shot, would they have called that a foul? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's should be the strategy is just fall down. Um, but didn't call the push off very very obviously clear strong forceful two hand push off didn't call the travel didn't call the the double jump stop um i i don't know it's it's uh it's unfortunate and it it really robs t c u of a signature win and it it makes it uh you know all the more difficult to keep pace in the the race to have a, a strong resume come march and certainly in the the Big 12 standings. Mhm.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll start with the call myself or the calls there at the end of the game and you know, I've watched sports for basically all my life and I used to watch sports with my dad all the time growing up and the one thing that he told me when I was young and I still remember to this day is you never want to see the officials decide The outcome of a game. And you know that in this day and age, officials are not perfect. They have a very difficult job to do. And particularly in today's age with social media and instant replay and reviews, everything is kind of under a microscope there. But in this particular instance, the officials clearly swayed the outcome of this game. And it's really disappointing. Especially when you consider the reaction on social media after this game and how the the only people who seem to believe that there was no uh the only people that seem to believe that the flagrant foul call was correct and that Dickinson didn't travel are Kansas fans. And yes, there are a lot of Kansas fans, so uh they are making some some noise trying to defend themselves. But listen, even Bill Self in the post-game presser. Of course, he said that he thought the call was made correctly, but he even said Dickinson helped sell the call. Like, you think that man doesn't know deep down that Dickinson flopped? Like, you just look at the reaction on social media and people who aren't even TCU fans, people all over social media, college basketball fans, saying that TCU got robbed, going as far... As I say, the game may have been rigged. I wouldn't go that far personally, but it it was so bad down the stretch from everything I've seen, the clips that I watch. I watched the Uday play. I watched the play at the end of the game, the the layup to win the game. Just just terrible. And this has been happening in the Big Twelve for quite some time now. Uh, not just to TCU but to other teams in really important games. It's embarrassing. And there's a lack of accountability. The officials don't have to talk to the media after the game. There, there's no explanation as to why those calls were made. You know, In professional sports, we get poll reports now where officials can attempt to explain why certain calls were made, but we're, we're just forced to to swallow it, and it sucks because this is a game against the number two-ranked team in the country where we talked coming in, TCU had to play a near-perfect game in order to win. And we knew coming in that Hunter Dickinson was a horrible matchup for the frogs. And you knew he was going to get his, I mean, he comes in averaging about 20 and 12 and he goes off for 30 points. You knew he was going to get his, but Emmanuel Miller had a solid game. I believe he finished with 20 points. Trey Tennyson, Anthony, as you said, just unbelievable stuff from him in this game. I watched a, a montage clip of his highlights from this game and he he was knocking down shots from every area of the floor. He was knocking down fadeaway threes, step back threes, semi contested shots. He was in such a rhythm in this game, and he's been such a difference maker for this team offensively since he was put into the starting lineup. And I really think if if we can kind of segue from the the controversial calls to just what what worked well for TCU in this game was. The the move by Jamie Dixon to insert Trey Tennyson and Avery Anderson into the starting lineup uh, continues to be a, a solid move. Uh, Avery Anderson in this game you know, offensively didn't have huge numbers by any stretch, but he had six steals on defense. He was a huge reason as to why TCU was able to force those 18 turnovers. And, and TCU finished, I think, with only nine turnovers. So the Frogs took really good care of the ball. Trey Tennyson, with his shooting ability, we knew coming into the season that he was probably going to be the best pure shooter on this team. And I recall Jamie Dixon even saying early on that he could be TCU's best pure shooter since Desmond Bain, which is a huge compliment considering the man was a first-round pick and is killing it right now with the Memphis Grizzlies. But Tennyson, with his shooting ability, just it makes TCU's starting lineup so much different because teams have to respect the perimeter now. You know, early on, Jameer Nelson, as we've talked about, hasn't been shooting the ball particularly well from the perimeter. He's been getting to the cup. He's been knocking down free throws, but the perimeter shooting hasn't been there. Jacoby Coles, he didn't play in this game. He's banged up, but he's going through a little bit of a shooting slump right now. So teams can really pack the paint against TCU when Tennyson isn't out there because you don't have a lot of guys that are dynamic shooters I mean you have players like Micah Peavy and Emmanuel Miller who they can take an open three if it's there they can knock down a spot-up look but Trey Tennyson some of the shots that he made in this game were extremely impressive and I think this is the kind of game where as we saw last season with Shahada Wells he had this big game against Kansas and then he was over the next two or three weeks, one of TCU's best scorers and really got into a rhythm. And I think this is that kind of game for for Trey Tennyson. So I was really encouraged with that. Again, TCU took care of the ball in this game and they they never got down by by too much. I mean this game throughout the second half, it seemed like it was always single digits. Neither team was really able to stretch the lead out by by too many points. And it's It's just so unfortunate because t c u did so many things right in this game. I thought they they shot the ball well enough from the field they forced Kansas out of its uh rhythm offensively at times, getting on the fast break as we know t c u is very good at scoring on the fast break and getting on transition. I thought they did that well in this game too it's it's just it's just so brutal because we talked about uh t c u wrapping up non conference play you got to swallow a loss like this and now get ready to play back-to-back ranked teams in in Oklahoma and Houston, both of which are going to be on uh, national television, Oklahoma game on ESPN too. And Houston uh, on the road on ESPN. Those are going to be really tough games too. And it it was nice to see uh, Chuck O'Bannon come back from an injury. Uh, Jacoby Coles, hopefully he's back soon. But if you could have won this game, I mean, this is one of the signature wins in program history, beating a number two team in the country on the road to start off the conference schedule in what is probably the most difficult conference in all of college basketball. Instead, you get screwed by the refs, you're 0-1 in conference, and now you have to get ready to face back-to-back ranked teams after that tough of a loss. And to to the credit of Jamie Dixon uh, and the Frogs, they didn't. Come out and openly complain after the game, they said all of the right things post game, uh, despite the amount of backlash uh the officials received from college basketball fans and t c u fans and uh even a d j d chiming in and saying that uh t c u deserved to win this game, which yes j d we agree with you very much um but now you you, you gotta bounce back you gotta find a way to bounce back and uh and get ready for for some tough games coming up. So you you hope that this doesn't create a a domino effect and you hope that uh, the guys don't lose their confidence after this one, but man, just don't, don't influence the outcome of the game referees. We know that you're going to make mistakes. We know that you aren't perfect, but do not attempt to insert yourselves into the situation to influence a call one way or the other. I don't even care if it would be, for t c u you're you're there to be fair and objective and unbiased to call the game the way that the game should be called, and looking at that play, everything that I've seen nothing about that play dictates that a flagrant should be called there, and i'll just i'll I'll leave it at that before we go any longer because I think we could we could keep going on this game for for another half hour. But Anthony, do you have any, any final thoughts about just the game, what TCU did well, what they need to, you know, work on or continue to do moving forward?
1: Yeah. I'll echo that. There's certainly no time to cry in your cereal here that, that TCU has to dust itself off and, and yeah, it has, it's two home games. So the Houston game is also back in Schallmeyer. So two home games um, against top, 11 foes and probably Oklahoma might step up into the top 10 after their win over Iowa state this weekend. So, um, yeah, there's, there's no time for tears. So frogs are going to have to bounce back quickly and it's going to be really, really tough. Um, but you get a chance for another signature win on Wednesday and then a chance for another signature win on Saturday. So, um, you know, pick yourself back up and and let's move forward. And and to say it would be a signature win, I think I I, I wonder how many, if ever, teams have gone back to back seasons beating Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. Whether that's whether that's ever happened or if there's been a conference team that's ever done that, that feels. If TCU had been able to pull that off, that that feels like even getting the win and it being over a number two team and all of that, but to have in consecutive years to go into that building and take a win would have been a a pretty incredible achievement. And it's unfortunate TCU was um, deprived of that opportunity. Um, I guess things from this game, um, you know, uh, on, on Avery Anderson, I think he, he did have an okay game, and TCU as a whole was was very uh, protective of the basketball, I think. Only nine turnovers on the day, so that was good. But he had one that was uh, a really rough look where he just had kind of a lazy across-the-court pass that was intercepted and brought back for, uh, for a score that, at, at the time, TCU was ahead by – three or five and had the ball and was you know a a score there and you could feel things starting to roll and instead uh, it became this one possession game that he just kind of gave away um Mm. so I thought that was pretty unfortunate um but he he did you know he's into a starting role now so you know I think I think he he played well but that one was a tough one um other things in this, something about the way that TCU matched up with this particular Kansas team that I think was really strong. That I think maybe TCU didn't take enough advantage of here was TCU goes deep enough on the bench even without Jacoby Cole's that um, Kansas just doesn't this year. Um, you know, Kansas has four certified superstar, maybe all-American level starters. Four guys in Dickinson, Harris, McCullough, and Adams that are four of the best players at their position in the country without question. But after that, it's not that team. This team does not go deep. The bench scoring was basically non-existent from this team. Um, And TC was unable to really get Kansas into foul trouble. Um, you know, I think maybe one guy had four fouls and it was a bench guy. Um, so I, I think TCU did a great job of earning fouls, particularly in the second half. I think not so much in the first half, but, um, you know, got 14 total fouls on Kansas, but nobody really of value in real foul trouble where, you're impacting minutes of guys who you hope to see not on the floor. If you're TCU, Um, I think that's something TCU really could have taken advantage of because these other guys, when they were on the court, um, that was good news for TCU. If it was one of the, one of outside of those four, if any of those four were sitting on the bench, that was a good time for TCU. Um, Whereas TCU got lots of bench scoring and, you know, I mean, if if you're like we've we've talked about all year, if you're pulling guys like Jameer Nelson Jr. off the bench and even Chuck O'Bannon off the bench, um, you're feeling pretty good about that. Kansas this season doesn't have that kind of depth that you're really, really scares you. So I thought that was unfortunate. But TCU did an excellent job making free throws in this game, 81 um, percent from the free throw line is continues to be a big positive here and I guess I'll knock on wood a little bit. I mean that's that's something that has really hurt TCU in years past and this season feels like it's been really cleaned up and here in you know one of the biggest games that it'll play all season um had had that strong of a performance from the free throw line. I was impressed with that as well. So um I think this game did give me a little more confidence that TCU should be kind of remaining in the bubble race, remaining in that, uh, you know, middle tier area of the Big 12 with opportunity to win enough games in the league play. I think, you know, you go to Kansas and you get blown out and you probably don't learn too much from that. But you play a game like this, it does feel like you know there's no moral victories but it does feel like okay this team is is legitimate and and all of whatever you can say about the non conference schedule and kind of the soft slate that TCU played TCU went toe to toe with one of the best teams in the country so you can take all that and put it it's long in the past at this point we're we're now moving forward and TCU's playing at that high level so If TCU is able to play at this high level, it's easily a tournament team, Um, but you're going to have to accumulate wins, which is going to be very difficult in the Big 12, particularly when you've already dropped one that you very much could have won.
0: Yeah, I agree 100% about the free throw shooting. I know that's something that last season we talked about on almost every episode this time of year, that it seemed like the free throw shooting always seem to rear its ugly head at the most inopportune times. But TCU really has shot the ball well from the charity stripe this year. And TCU, I think in the most recent uh, tournament, you know, bracketology is listed as a, a next four out. So I think a game like this, you lose the game, but if TCU can play with this kind of effort defensively, forcing turnovers, continuing to push the pace, you uh, taking one of the best teams in the country to the brink without one of your better players on the road, TCU, I think, will be a tournament team if they continue to play with this kind of effort, if they continue to get healthy. Now it's still very early. There is a very long Big 12 slate ahead of us. Um, anything can happen, as we saw last year when, uh, when Mike Miles went down with his injury in the Frogs. It got cold there when he was out. They got him back. They were able to make a run toward the end of the season uh, and into the tournament. So ultimately we'll see what happens, but the effort in this game was T- from TCU was fantastic. And uh, we will see if TCU can bounce back with its next couple of games here against Oklahoma and Houston that uh, later this week, uh, but just a brutal loss for, for TCU in controversial fashion and, Uh, Some more brutal news with TCU women's basketball uh, suffering back-to-back losses in Big 12 play. TCU went on the road and took on number 10 Baylor, a matchup of top 25 opponents. This was on Wednesday and right off the bat, first play of the game. Sedona Prince suffers a finger injury, plays through it, and you could tell that something wasn't right there because she was having a tough time knocking down shots and didn't seem to really be playing through contact. And uh, TCU did its best to hang with Baylor in this game, but just a ice cold shooting finish from the frogs in the fourth quarter. I think TCU shot 8% from the field in the fourth quarter of this game. And uh, after a really brilliant second quarter where TCU took the lead and really looked primed for a big upset and and really a win over a top 10 Baylor team on the road for this women's program would be one of the program's more notable wins in in recent history over the last several years but instead uh, with, with Prince banged up and TCU just going cold from the field Baylor ultimately blows TCU out in the fourth quarter and wins the game 71 to 50 but the biggest news really that came out of this was that Sedona Prince suffered a fractured finger and has already underwent surgery to repair the injury, but she is going to be out now for the foreseeable future, which is just j- just an absolutely brutal <coughs> piece of news for a TC women's team that, as we've been following along on this podcast and on our website, com. Fourteen and zero, unbeaten in conference play. You open up Big Twelve play with a win against BYU, and you had some really good moments against Baylor. And now you have to move forward without your best player, who's averaging twenty-one points, ten and a half rebounds, three blocks a game. She's she dictates so much of what TCU does, especially on the defensive end. The way that TCU can play zone defense with Sedona Prince anchoring that in the middle. I mean, you you can't teach 67 in in women's college basketball and she's an absolute menace down low. Offensively, the way TCU can run pick and roll and pick and pop with her, she can knock down mid-range shots. She she just she does so much and she's super talented. And the Frogs are gonna, are not going to have that for for the next several weeks and we saw the immediate uh, fall out of this in yesterday's game against Oklahoma state, which was a home game, a good crowd. Fans were really into it. Uh, TCU fell behind early on and was hanging around, but ultimately was not able to get the win. And you, you lose to an unranked Oklahoma state team uh, by six or seven points at home. It, th- you hope that this doesn't snowball quickly because as much praise as we've heaped on the on the women's program for starting off the, the non-conference undefeated, you beat BYU, but now you've lost two in a row and now you have to figure out how to play without Sedona Prince, which is a tall task. And I have faith that Mark Campbell and his staff can work around this. And we saw TCU play a lot of man defense in this Oklahoma State game and really TCU's defense played well. I mean, Oklahoma state wasn't blowing the frogs out of the water by any stretch, but, uh, it was, it was another tough showing for the frogs offensively. And there's going to be a lot of attention now paid to Madison Connor and Jaden Owens who, uh, Jaden Owens had a nice game against Baylor. And, you know, those two are going to have to step up and Uh, Deja Turner, who's, I think TCU's backup big is going to need to, and she hasn't played very many minutes. She's going to need to step up quickly here and and take on a pretty big role for this team as you know, they, they're probably going to have to play a lot more man defense moving forward, how it's going to function offensively. We'll see, but teams knowing that they aren't going to have to worry about Sedona Prince down in the post, they're going to have, I mean, they're, they're going to have more Bodies to throw at Madison Connor and, and more bodies to stop Jade Owens from uh, putting the ball on the floor and dribble penetrating, kicking the ball out, finding the open shooter. So uh, just just a, a nightmarish kind of situation for for the Frogs as they're going to be now without their their star center here for the, the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, man, this it sucks. This it changes everything about TCU on the court. Um this the the way that they're gonna play offense, the way that they're gonna play defense, the way that other teams will have to prepare for them. Um it's it really changes the entire view of what TCU can do on the court. And it will you know, the quick turnaround to the Oklahoma State game, I think that was tough. And then next up they've they've gotta go to Texas. Yeah, uh, I think a top ten Texas. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, they're they're dealing with their own injury issues as well. But that is another just brutal matchup that, you know, with Sedona Prince, you would have liked your chances at least to to go in there and have a shot. But man, now it's it's gonna be really, really tough. So I, I think that's really unfortunate. The other thing to say on this is, man, what a warrior Sedona Prince breaks her finger in the first play of this Baylor game, plays every minute of the game,
0: mm. scores
1: 20 points, 10 rebounds, uh, several blocks, um, and, and, you know, she did not have her best offensive performance, but she's playing on a broken finger. Um, it, I, I think, you know, a lot of credit to her to uh, for toughing out that game, putting in that level of performance, that effort. Um, you have to applaud that, Uh, that, that Baylor game was an interesting watch. It was the first women's game in their new arena down there in Waco. Um, and you know, I think it'll be interesting to see whether scoring or shooting percentages are any different in that building than they were in the old building. If the sight lines are weird, or something, but something was off. That both teams were shooting terribly to start this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the scoring these are these are teams that both scored averaged in the eighties, yeah. and they're sitting there through you know, like I don't know, eight, in the eight, teens
0: after the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, like
1: in in the teens, it early through, quickly into the game. I don't know, man. It was it was a extremely low scoring game considering the teams in play everybody shooting well below their averages. It just felt like a weird game right from throughout. Um, but yeah, TCU hanging tight, but just eventually Baylor started making their shots and TCU just never did. Um, those three pointers, they, they just never arrived. Um, TCU kept shooting them, but they just never, they never found their way into the net. And, um, early in the early going TCU was keeping Baylor f- from making those shots but eventually Baylor ends up making 13 three-pointers on the on the day um and that's you know th- there you go there's there's your difference in the game i mean TCU made something like two or three uh two so i, I think that's just one where the game got a little bit out of TCU's control. Once they, once they started missing shots and Baylor just, man, they caught fire. That's a really, really good basketball team. Um, and they are going to be a very dangerous team at the national level, uh, that, and, and TCU played with them for a half and maybe two and a half quarters. And then, yeah, Baylor caught fire. The the Oklahoma State game I didn't get a chance to watch any of. Um, so I, I don't I don't know exactly how this one played out, but um you know it's it's gonna be very hard to figure out how to play without Sedona Prince. I mean, you you're going to have to have somebody step up. Um that outside of Owens and Connor. Um, So somebody has to be a go-to on the scoring end and on the defensive end, I think. So I I don't know who's going to be that, that person. Um, Agnes and Emma Anopu has been a high performer this season, but, I don't know that she's been consistent enough to be, to say like, yes, this, this is who's go. It's definitely going to be her. I think it, it may be somebody different every game, um, but it'll have to be somebody. And uh, it was really nobody in that Oklahoma state game. It was, it was Owens and Connor and, and not much else, which it, it, it showed up in the final score. I think TCU is going to have its work ahead of it to, to, uh, as as in the men's side to to compete in this Big Twelve, it's going to be very difficult. You've got a lot of teams playing at at a very high level, um, and you know it, Kansas State I think is also ranked. I think West Virginia is ranked. So um, TCU will certainly fall out of the rankings with these two losses. We'll see what they're able to do. Maybe they go into Austin a- and take a win over a top ten Longhorns team and get right back on track.
0: Yeah. I will say for the Sedona Prince injury, I'm not sure if it's going to be season ending. It doesn't seem like something that would be. So, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I I would guess that she will be back at some point in the season. And, you know, regardless of how this big 12 slate goes, I think if TCU can get her healthy sooner rather than later, you still have a chance to accomplish some significant goals this year. Uh, a big a run in the Big 12 tournament by March is not out of the question. Uh clinching a, a berth in the NCAA tournament is still not out of the question. So uh, we will see uh, how TCU treads these waters over the next few weeks. And you know, you mentioned Agnes Emma Nopu. She's had some big games this season. Uh she's had a handful of double-doubles and non-conference play. She's certainly going to have to step up. Una Yovanovich, who transferred in from Cal State Fullerton, that's another starting guard uh, for TCU, who's been kind of that the fifth option for this offense, hasn't been asked to score a whole lot, has really been sort of a complementary player for this team. Uh, she's going to have to step up and and contribute a little more. And Aliyah Robertson off the bench, who's been the, the consistent sixth woman for, for TCU, is going to have to step up as well. The The biggest concern is just h- how much front court depth do you really have behind Sedona Prince? That's proven. Um, Agnes Emanopu is more of, I think, a small forward. Uh, Aliyah Robertson, same way. Uh, I mentioned Deja Turner. She's She's probably the one that's going to have to really handle the bulk of that front court load with Prince out with that injury. So uh, we will, of course, continue to uh, keep tabs on the women's program as well as the men's program, uh, not only here on Frogs Up, but at our website, frogsofwar.com So uh, be sure to continue to follow us there. Uh, Drew Carlton, Liz Marquez, and our staff have been doing a, a great job of, of keeping things rolling here as uh, we have some more football offseason news to share. Not a whole lot, but just some uh, some housekeeping items here, TCU Did pick up a couple of new transfers in the portal since we last talked. And one of them is a quarterback. Uh, TCU has secured a commitment from Vanderbilt, former Vanderbilt quarterback, Ken Seals, who is a Azle, Texas native. He has played four years of college football, three full seasons at Vanderbilt. There was one year where he didn't play, but I believe he's played in 28 games with 22 starts. Has some serviceable numbers, uh, nothing that pops off the stat sheet by any means, but he had his best touchdown-to-interception ratio this year. He had 11 touchdown passes, only four interceptions. He started six games this year. Was kind of an on-and-off starter for the Commodores throughout his career there. Uh, Vanderbilt, as we know, is not a football powerhouse by any stretch, but this is a, a veteran quarterback that is going to come back to his home state and compete for his spot on the depth chart. As we know, TCU is going to have four-star quarterback Haas Haney coming in for 2024. He was one of two TCU players who were in the All-American Bowl over the weekend, uh, along with Kyle Lemmerman, the place kicker. So Haas Haney and Ken Seals will be coming in, uh, along with Josh Hoover coming back and Uh, Those are looking like your top three quarterbacks right now as you uh, look forward to spring ball. So that's a noteworthy addition. And then uh, just today, TCU picked up a commitment from Utah cornerback, former Utah cornerback, Travis Broughton, who was a four-year starter for Utah. I think he uh, spent five seasons with the Utes and is going to be coming over as a a sixth-year player that could very well be a starter day one. Um looking at some of the other portal moves for TCU, uh, a piece of unfortunate news is TCU lost a commitment from uh Cal Poly cornerback Donovan Saunders who was one of the highest rated transfer recruits for TCU in this class. Uh was announced as a signing by TCU in the press release, but who knows how the paperwork functions with these transfers as compared to the high school and JUCO guys because Uh, Saunders has flipped to Texas A&M and, uh, Texas A&M has picked up a few guys over the last several days, including former UAB cornerback, BJ Mays, who was also offered by TCU. So, uh, Mike Elko and his staff is sniping TCU of its, uh, prospective recruits, but, uh, losing Donovan Saunders is tough. TCU also lost, uh, commitment from North Texas transfer offensive lineman, Howard Sampson, Just today, he flipped his commitment to North Carolina. So uh, as it stands right now, TCU's transfer class is at 14 players and then 21 players coming in from the high school JUCO ranks. But uh, some positive additions with Ken Seals and Travis Broughton coming in. A guy who will certainly compete for a starting corner job day one. TCU doesn't have much depth coming back at that position. You have Avery Helm, you have Channing Canada, uh, but not a whole lot uh, outside of that. And then, uh, you know, you you planned on having Donovan Saunders come in and potentially compete for one of those spots, and uh, it'll be to Travis Broughton instead. So uh, a little bit of portal shuffling for the Frogs over the last week or so, and uh, we will see if any moves continue to happen here uh, over the next month or so as TCU moves toward the start of spring ball in March.
1: Yeah, with Travis Broughton coming over from Utah and TCU playing at Utah, uh, the the Utes fans have already jumped in the mentions and, and jumped in the replies on anything about this, trying to talk smack or talk down on this guy. I mean, he spent like five years there. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why fans do that um in general but I think it would be particularly fun if Broughton had a good went went back to Salt Lake City next season as the the Horn Frogs are will be playing there as conference mates and has a nice game and TCU takes a win similar to the way Mark Perry went back to to Colorado in that first year after transferring out of Colorado went back to Boulder and uh took a nice win and I think was happy to to put some things back in some people's faces on that one. So um I, I look forward to Broughton having that opportunity. With SEALs, you know, I think his win-loss record is going to look really terrible because he was the quarterback at Vanderbilt. But you know, I think considering he's the quarterback at Vanderbilt, his statistics and the way that he's played was was pretty solid. I mean he's had big games against like Florida and Ole Miss this season. Um So, you know, I think this is not a total throw him on the depth chart guy. I think he's a guy that you can really trust if you if you need to put him in a game, he can get the job done for you and, and maybe stepping into a situation, you know, I Will he be given an opportunity com- to compete with Josh Hoover? I expect absolutely so. Will he win that competition? You know, prob- probably not. But I think that it adds good competition. And I think that he is, he's a solid guy to have on your team. Um, and a local guy that it, you know, it's it, it'll be nice to have him there. Um, and the guys that that TC lost, I think, man, I think we had talked about a bunch, how we expected Saunders to kind of step right in and be a, a player right away for the frogs. So that one really hurts. That Texas A and M is, I they they they're going to if if they want somebody they're going to be able to get them. So you know that's that's the way it goes, and you know you you can't begrudge people for that, I suppose. But um, it's unfortunate that we this stuff bounces back and forth so quickly now, where. Um, you know, it's, it's been a couple weeks now that all that big signing day announcement came out and here Saunders and Samson were on that announcement and, you know, all the big graphics and all of the, the hoopla and, and here they are transferring, not even transferring, just deciding to be somewhere else. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think I'm going to be excited when the actual roster drops at some point on GoFrogs.com for spring practice. And uh students get back and enrollment is locked and we know all right at least these are the players who are on campus and who are part of this team today so then we can start talking about that team certainly there are is another transfer window in the spring and there will be a lot more changes coming and then into the fall but at least at that point there's some semblance of a of a stopping point um because right now it's still very much Wild West out here until at least we see a roster.
0: Yeah, that that roster windmill is always turning. And you know, we'll continue to track all of those movements at com and discuss them here on the Frogs Up podcast as uh, TCU's Frogs on Campus get ready for 2024. We have some frogs that are getting ready for their professional careers. TCU is going to have several players competing in some of the upcoming showcase events. Uh, There was actually one in Fort Worth over the weekend. We weren't able to get anybody out there, but it was at one of the ISD facilities. It was the College Gridiron Showcase. Uh, It's an annual event. They, They have some alums from that event that are on NFL rosters or were on NFL rosters, but It was a local showcase, Jamoy Hodge, the TCU linebacker, and Rick DeBreyu, defensive lineman. They participated in that event over the weekend. It concluded today, I believe. Uh, This coming Saturday, the 13th, at the UCF Stadium in Orlando is the Hula Bowl, which Imani Bailey will be playing at. Uh, Yes, he is not a senior, but that don't apply anymore to these events as they're open now to anybody who's declared for the draft. Uh not still not sure how I feel about that, but uh if you want to watch the Hula Bowl this coming Saturday, the 13th, uh Monty Bailey will be representing TCU in that game. And then fast forwarding to early February, we're gonna have the, the two big ones really as far as the senior showcase events are concerned. There's the East West Shrine Bowl, which will be played on Thursday, February 1st. That'll be at Ford Field in Detroit. Uh is gonna have three players at that one. Mark Perry will be there. Andrew Coker will be there, and then Willis Patrick will also be there as well. And then the Reese Senior Bowl, that's the big one. That's the most notable of these senior showcase events. That'll be Saturday, February 3rd at the South Alabama Stadium in Mobile. Uh, Brandon Coleman, offensive lineman, will be there along with tight end Jared Wiley and cornerback Josh Newton, who, uh, even though we knew this already, uh, officially – announced his declaration for the nfl draft uh this weekend as well so some events to keep our eyes on here over the next few weeks as we'll have one more chance to see some of our our senior or upperclassmen frogs in action as the the march continues for uh the 2024 nfl draft which will be later in the spring
1: yeah, also just a quick shout out, this past Saturday was also the All-American Bowl, the high school all-star showcase, and there were two Horn Frog signees that participated in that, quarterback Haas Haney and kicker Kyle Lemmerman, uh, both here, local DFW guys as well. So um, congrats to them for getting that honor to be invited to go participate in that and and the chance to play. Um, I saw early parts of that game before the basketball game started. Kyle Lemmerman had at least was, was kicking off and had the extra point on the first touchdown. So saw him, saw him out there playing. Uh, I know that Haas Haney played, but I haven't seen any stats from this. It's hard to find any information about the actual game itself. I think the highlights are, uh, any player who had not yet committed actually announcing their commitment. That's what that event is really about, but, um, still, good to see Horn Frogs in that game and um, getting that honor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one last final football update for this episode is uh, TCU did have one more player enter the transfer portal. It was freshman defensive back Javion Wilcox, who was one of the 2023 recruits, uh, 2023 four-star recruit uh, that is now gone. That's Uh, I want to say four or five players from the 2023 class now that have entered the portal, but he did not see any game action in 2023. And TCU, as we know, this offseason has hit that defensive back position very hard in the recruiting circles and in the transfer portal as well, bringing guys like Jace Oliver from Tulsa um, and then flipping a couple of guys late in the high school recruiting cycle with Caden McFadden Flipping from Duke and Devin Hydrogo flipping from Wyoming, so uh, that'll be our final football update. And I'm sure we will continue to have more football updates as uh, the college football season will officially conclude tomorrow with the national championship. Michigan taking on Washington, the two 14 and 0 teams remaining. Uh, I lost a little bit of money on the Michigan Alabama game. I thought I thought the Tide were going to pull it out and. Gosh, twenty to thirteen. You, you, you had Michigan right where you wanted them, and the Wolverines go right down the field, and then they score in overtime. And uh, that that poor center for for Alabama uh, can't can't snap the football. Doesn't snap the football on that final play of the game. Jalen Milrow is just forced to tuck it and run, and it goes nowhere. And the very next day, he's in the transfer portal. He takes a visit to Ohio State a few days later, and now he's committed to. Uh, play for the Buckeyes next year. He'll get so. to
1: play Michigan again next season. Just a, a, <laughs> what, what a way it turns in
0: college football nowadays! And you know that that poor kid getting getting lambasted on social media. But I guess w- one final thought, Anthony, as we wrap up this episode, we have the national championship game coming up tomorrow. I am picking Washington to win. Washington to me just kind of seems like the team of destiny. Uh, they they have a, a good energy about them. I I really don't want Michigan to win this national championship for a lot of different reasons. So I am putting a little bit of of money on Washington to, to win this one. Maybe I'll get it right the second time around and, uh, and the Wolverines will finally drop one, but who, who are you taking in this game and why?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love Roma Dunze. Roma Dunze has been one of my favorite players in college football. I'm so glad he got, put on the biggest stage this season. Um, And I think he's going to be an awesome NFL player and all of that. Um, But I have to tell you, there's, there's no such thing as destiny. We learned this last season in the national championship game. There's no such thing as magic or good energy or the tooth fairy. Um, Michigan is going to win the football game and they're going to get away with the cheating. They're going to get away with uh, all of it. And they're going to ride off into the sunset and there's nothing you can do but frown about it. And that's the way it goes because that's how college football works. Um, Michigan's the better team and Michigan's going to win the game. That's, that's my, that is my pick. And I, I guess I've just soured on the magic because we we got burnt pretty bad thinking that magic might happen last year.
0: And you know what? If there's a, a slight silver lining in that, should Michigan win and should J.J. McCarthy decide that he's done and he wants to declare for the 2024 NFL draft, he would finish his career uh, with only one loss <laughs> as a starting quarterback. And that would be to our TCU Horn Frogs. And so there you go. Um, I, I got I to gotta roll with the purple team, so we, we will see what happens. I'm sure we'll probably have some thoughts about that game uh, next weekend as uh, we'll be back next weekend to record another episode of the Frogs Up TCU Sports Podcast here. We appreciate everybody uh, for listening in and continue to follow us here on Frogs Up and continue to follow us online at frogswar.com and on Facebook and Twitter at Frogs of uh, Just a couple of notes I want to make is – you know, 2023 is come and gone, and we're on to 2024 now. And uh, I'm really appreciative of the support that we've had here on the podcast and on the blog and on social media. Uh, we're continue to we're continuing to grow uh, all of our platforms, and just you know, looking at some of the numbers, we're approaching 7,000 plays here on the podcast since we started uh, as our rebranded version of the podcast in early August through our partnership with the 1012 Network approaching 7,000 plays and uh, well over a million page views at Frogs of War uh, over the last 10 and a half to 11 months. And that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, We've had some really strong numbers, uh, not only during football season, but well after the football season, y'all are continuing to show your support. And it's it's just, it's really appreciated. and, And we really enjoy doing this and, Uh, are looking to continue to grow and and make more strides here in 2024. So, uh, Anthony, I'm not sure you wanted to add any other feel-good, fuzzy notes here before we sign off this evening. Hey, couldn't
1: say it better than that. Love you all. Thank you.
0: And we will sign off with a Frogs Up.
1: Get your frogs up.